Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. And as you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, let me share just a couple of quick quick other announcements. We're really announcement heavy as we're coming up on our centennial celebration. There's just so much going on, lots of communication that needs to happen as we prepare. And so let me just share a couple of little things that need to be mentioned. First, on Saturday evening, we're doing the barbecue at Hell's Gate. We will also be baptizing people. Our district, or our general superintendent's wife, uh, Dr. Samantha Chombo, will be preaching, and then I will be baptizing anybody who would like to be baptized. So if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and have not yet been baptized, please let me baptize you. Let me know ahead of time. Let me know today, or, or you can email me or call or drop in by the office this week. Let me know that you're wanting to be baptized, and I will plan on baptizing you on Saturday of Labor Day weekend. As a reminder, the Cypress House is, is a house that we already own as a denomination, and it's gone into disuse over a couple of years, but new leadership there in the Eurasia region has pointed to the, to the Koinonia House there in Cyprus as a strategic location for training church planters and, and providing uh, training to pastors and leaders, and also as a retreat place for pastors and leaders who will be going into the parts of the world around the, the Eastern Mediterranean where folks like you and me cannot go, where, where visas for missionaries are not available, where we have to enter strategically, and mostly we are training nationals, uh, believers who, who are in those countries to return to their home country and to spread the gospel. And so this is a really exciting ministry. This has the, the potential to, to change the landscape of the church and the landscape of that part of the world. And we believe that God is, is doing something awesome right there. Our leaders in Africa have identified the Cyprus Project is something that could help them train leaders in Northern Africa as well. And leaders in Asia and certain parts of the, of the South Pacific have, have identified Cyprus as a place that could be a training center for leaders in that, those parts of the world as well. And so this is, this is a huge, amazing project. It comes with a huge, amazing price tag too. And we're trying to raise $60,000 as uh, offering 62,500 is our goal. To, to fund the Cyprus project. Our local church will match uh, the, that 62 and we'll be able to send 125,000 to the region. The region will match that and make it a $250,000 project that we're going to be able to accomplish in Cyprus. And so I would encourage you to continue to pray about how the Lord would lead you to give. Already about half of our goal of 30, about 30,000 has come in and praise God, thank you. Isn't that awesome? And so thank you for those of you who have already generously given. Please be praying about what the Lord would have you give if you have not yet. And we're going to see God do amazing things in Cyprus. It's going to be the story that our general superintendents go around telling everybody for the next 10 years about how amazing the project is that this church in Idaho didn't want their centennial to just be inwardly focused, but we had this outward focus and this idea that we could change the world by celebrating the centennial of what God's done right here in the valley. So join with us. Let's, let's uh, give generously and see God do amazing things in Cyprus. I've asked you to turn to 
Ephesians chapter 5. I'm, I'm going to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I've been preaching through the month of August. Pastor Becca started the month off in Ephesians, the second half of the book of Ephesians. And we've been going through the second half of the book of Ephesians. The first half of the book of Ephesians deals a lot with the theology and philosophy of Jesus's life and death and ministry on earth and how that changed our relationship with God. And then the second half deals with the practical practices that come out of Jesus's ministry, life and death on earth. And so this, this portion of the letter is, is really about how our faith meets our daily life. These are, these are practices for us to put into place in our lives. And when we practice our faith, we don't practice like, what do I practice that I don't do very well? I practice dancing. I'm not a good dancer but I practice in my kitchen when I'm doing the dishes, you know, and I, but it's, you know, it's just goofing off. When we practice being believers, we practice as if it's our job, right? We practice like medical doctors practice. Medical doctors practice in order to, to hone their instincts so that their gut reaction is the right reaction. We need to be practicing in such a way we need to practice our faith like it's our job. Day in and day out, we wake up practicing our faith. And so, as, as we look at the practices uh, that, that Paul encouraged believers in Ephesus to, to take on, we, we are trying to put these into practice as if it is our job. Tomorrow when we wake up, this is what we're going to be thinking about and, and we're going to put into practice in our lives. So, in Ephesians 5, Starting in verse 15, I'm just going to go through, I'm going to read through verse 20 right now. And Paul has these words to say to the church in Ephesus. This is a church he knew, he, a church that he had been to, and, and he says these words. He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God. Give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins with this idea of being careful. What does it look like to be careful? What is, what is your definition of careful? Because everybody has a def different definition of careful, right? For, for some in our family, only driving five miles an hour over the speed limit is being very careful. For some in our family, driving five miles an hour under the speed limit is very careful. There are different, there are different, different, measurements of what is careful, right? Different people have different, different ideas about what it is to be careful. Some people I know will not eat food if there's an expiration date printed on it and it has passed that date. There are certain, there, I, I am aware of people that do that. There are other people that I'm aware of that will, will scrape the fungus off <laughs> of the food that has expired. We all have different 
different definitions of what it means to be careful in life, right? We all have different ideas about what it means to be careful. So when Paul encouraged the Christians in Ephesus to be careful, I don't think he had one specific, one specific thing in mind. I think he had the variety of relationships that we have in life in mind. He had the, uh, the, the, the way that we relate one to another as believers in mind. He had the way that we relate to the Lord in mind. And he said, be careful. Be careful about how you act. Paul started this practical part of the letter in, in chapter 4, verse 1. He said, Leave a, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul, Paul is encouraging believers, motivating believers to be careful so that they can live up to the call that God has placed on our lives. He, God has called us. We have, we have received this call. And so we ought to live carefully. We ought, to, we ought to consider how we are walking. And, and Paul is talking about the life that is, is consciously and conscientiously uh, trying to please God, trying to live according to God's plan and, and pattern for our lives. Now, when we talk about living worthily, we're not talking about making ourselves so good that we are acceptable to God. Because we can't, on our own power, make ourselves so good that we are acceptable to God. But Paul is talking to believers here, right? At, at the end of the passage I looked, up, looked at last week, in verse 14 of chapter 5, Paul quoted a, a song. He quoted a praise song. And he quoted a praise song that was a part of the baptism, the baptism ritual, we believe, from, from the church in Ephesus. And so he quoted this song that's part of a baptism ritual that Paul believed the, the Christians in Ephesus would have heard at their own baptism. He, I, I think Paul has in mind that he is writing to people who have gone through this experience of being baptized, of singing this song. And, and he says to those people who have made that conscious decision to follow the Lord, because the church in Ephesus, it's a young church. This is not a church that people were born into and baptized as infants. This is a church that people have grown up not hearing anything about the gospel. And then they heard about the gospel, and they thought, you know what? I think I believe in Jesus. And they become these crazy people who orient their being around Jesus. And because they made that decision, because they consciously chose to, to believe in Jesus and be one of these crazy people who orients their life around Jesus— they were baptized, and they went through this experience, and, and Paul says to these people, because you have made that decision, because you have decided, I'm going to be one of those crazy people that believes in Jesus, be careful. Be careful. Be careful how you live. We, we, Paul is, is telling us to consider our lives. Consider how we go about our lives day in and day out. Because if... Uh, it, it is easy to not consider our lives. It is easy to go through life without any, any space in life to, to be careful, to, to consider. I, I think Paul has in mind a life that is reflective, a life that considers our, our experiences. Because in our world, it is easy to be drawn from, from one want to the next, right? Oh, I want that, and now I want that, and now I want that. Or one quest to, a ne to the next, right? I, I have in mind to do this, and then I go to that. And, or from one emergency, or one crisis to the next. Some people live crisis to crisis, right? 
And, and it is so easy in our world to, to allow this crisis and that crisis and, and to be building, uh, to, to build a life that is, is based on emergency after emergency and never stop to pause and consider how did, how did my getting that thing that I desired actually change me and form me and shape me and make me different? How did that crisis, how did living through that crisis, how did it, how did it change my relationships with the people around me? We, we go through life, it's so easy to, to go through life from, from emergency to emergency without ever pausing, ever stopping to consider, to be careful, to think about our lives. And we talk, we talk about busyness and we talk about going from crisis to crisis sometimes like it's a badge of honor, right? We, we love to tell people how busy we've been. We love it. I love to tell people how busy I've been. We, we love to talk about how we're just biting fires. We're just going, we're, we're dealing with crisis after crisis. And, and don't we love to wonder where the time has gone? Oh my goodness, we love to wonder where the time, where has the time gone, right? The, because we've been so busy. We love to wonder where, where has the time gone? It's just flown by. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness, it's already, wow. We love to, to be busy. Busyness is a badge of honor. And, and leisure, leisure, leisure is only to be earned in our culture, right? You don't have any leisure time coming just because you deserve leisure. You have to work to get that, right? You have to work hard. If you want leisure time, if you want to relax, you'd better have worked hard if you're going to relax, really. <laughs> oh, David. Busyness in our world, though, it, it robs us of our ability, of whatever ability we might have, to reflect, to, to be careful, to consider our lives and consider how the last, last crisis has formed us and shaped us and changed us and made us different people. And I'm not opposed to, to busyness. I'm not opposed to hard work. I like to work hard. I like to be busy. I try not to tell people I'm busy, but I like to be busy. Uh, but I, I think when we, we have let busyness become a badge of honor, busyness should be a seasonal problem. Busyness should be a seasonal problem. It, busyness is unavoidable, but it should not be the norm. It should not be the norm. We all have times of busyness. In life, busyness is unavoidable. I learned as a pastor in an agricultural community that there is a time of the year when the crop is ripe and farmers got to harvest when the crop is ripe. And they are busy. They work from sunup to sundown and beyond. And they, they are busy. They have to be busy during that time. And in a lot of professional life and a lot of work and a lot of jobs, it's the same. We go through seasons of busyness. We have seasonal, seasonal busyness. There are times in, in the year, there, there are, you know, there's that time when reporting is due. There, there's tax season. There, there is certification time. There is all of the, there are times in, in lots of different careers and lots of different walks of life that a season of busyness comes along. It's natural. It's, it's a part of, of life. But busyness is, I believe, God's design for us is, is not for us to be in a constant state of emergency because of our busyness, but rather for our busyness to be seasonal, to get through it and, and to, be, to allow ourselves to be careful. Because if, if we're constantly in a state of heightened 
busyness. We never have time to pause and reflect. And, and remember that God's design for us is weekly rest. Actually, it's not just God's design, it's God's command. God's command is weekly rest. And, and God's command is, is that we would, we would pause. And, and our pause is so that we would focus on God, right? And in our focus on God, we, we have time to reflect. We have time to consider our relationship with the Lord. And so Paul, Paul tells us to be careful. He lays out the difference between a careful life and a life lacking care. He says, uh, continuing on in verse 15, uh, he says, don't live like fools, <laughs> but like those who are wise. I'm interested in the idea. Paul doesn't say, don't, be, uh, don't, don't live like the fools you are. He doesn't call anybody fools, right? He doesn't say, don't, don't live your folly. Don't be, don't, don't be the fool that you are. He says, don't live like fools. So there are, there are those examples out there that we should not follow, right? There are those examples. But neither does he say, don't be wise like you are. He, he says, live like the wise. Live like, wise, uh, like as if you are wise. Those who are wise, he says. Uh, I, Paul is encouraging us to look for, for examples to follow. I, really, I, I believe that. I, I believe that Paul is encouraging us to look for examples, to consider the wise in our culture, to consider the wise around us, and to follow the example of the wise, the wise people that we see. Paul opens up his own life as, as a life to follow as he follows Christ. But he tells us to be wise. I, when I think about biblical wisdom as a preacher, my mind automatically goes to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs begins with the idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it spends 31 chapters laying out what, what it means to fear the Lord, to be wise. And it, it lays out the difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish, those who act foolishly. And ultimately, it tells us about the reality of God's wisdom and that God's wisdom will prevail. That God's wisdom, wisdom prevails. Proverbs talks about how the lives uh, of the foolish do not reflect on, in their lives, they don't spend time reflecting on God's plan and design for them. The, the wise are those who pattern their lives after God's wisdom, who seek God with their whole hearts. Uh, meanwhile, the foolish don't give any care to their lives. The foolish don't acknowledge God with their lives. And the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of, the wisdom, of wisdom is not trembling and worrying over what God might do. That is not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is recognizing that God has authority, that God is over all, and that God, God is uh, above all. And, and it recognizes, wisdom recognizes, the fear of the Lord recognizes that God's will will be done. And, and God has given us, as his creations, he's, he's loved us, and, and he has given us the ability to follow his wisdom for our lives or to ignore his wisdom for our lives. 
And we can live in the wisdom of, of following God's path, or we can choose our own foolish way and do whatever we want. But God has created us to thrive when we follow his plan for us. And so wisdom is really about making the choice to thrive. It's about choosing to thrive in God's wisdom. It's, a, it's about making the choice to honor and acknowledge God with our lives. And Paul says we should always constantly be seeking to honor God's, God with our lives and to be wise. He says in verse 16, then, make the most, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Paul, Paul is putting a little urgency behind this idea of, of choosing the wise uh, direction for our lives, right? He, he says, in, make the most. He, um, he does not say, I know you're really busy. So on Sundays, take a little bit of time every, every week to, to take the opportunity, create the opportunity. He doesn't even say, you know, every week you should be, you should be looking for opportunities, he doesn't say even daily, find an opportunity. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. The pace of our lives can rob us of the ability to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves, right? We, we, can, we can have opportunities to reflect God's love to the people around us, come and go in, in a flash. And if we're so busy focused on the next emergency, if we're so busy focused on, on the next quest that I am on because I have a quest, we, we don't have opportunity to respond. We don't have the ability to respond to the opportunities that present themselves. I, I love to hear my friend Todd pray. Todd uh, prays for me lots of mornings. I hear Todd pray, and he prays. He has a couple of prayers that uh, a couple of phrases that he uses. He, he will pray often uh, that we will, our eyes will be open to the opportunities that present themselves. He prays, he prays that we will have our eyes open and we'll see people, that we'll see people. He, he will pray that we look for where God is working and we join in where God is working. See, wisdom Wisdom doesn't coast. Wisdom keeps its eyes open. Wisdom is active. Wisdom is looking for the opportunities. It is, it is eyes open, looking for the opportunities that we might have to share God's love, to, to be careful, <laughs> to be wise, to share God's wisdom. Often in the book of Proverbs, meanwhile, Foolishness, the opposite of wisdom, is equated with laziness. Wisdom is never lazy. Wisdom starts the day looking for opportunities. Wisdom starts the day saying, where are you working, God? How can I work alongside you? And Paul highlights the importance of making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. In these evil days, he says. Remember, this was written 2,000 years ago. This was written 2,000 years ago. And Paul said, these are evil days we live in. 
the church has not stopped saying these are evil days for the last 2,000 years. The church has always had a sense of urgency. And I believe that that is, that is actually wisdom. Wisdom says there, the world we live in, the, the message of the gospel has been necessary in our world, has been needed and longed for in our world. The message about Jesus has been, has been needed for 2,000 years. It is still urgent that we continue to make the most of every opportunity. Because just like Paul said, the days are evil. We, we have opportunity after opportunity to share light and salt and hope with a world that is, is looking for it. And so we have to have our eyes open. We have to make the most of every opportunity. 2,000 years. He says, be careful. But he says that, so be careful, be careful, make the most of every opportunity. But in verse 17 then, he talks again about what it would look like to be foolish. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And so reinforcing our call to act in wisdom, fools don't think before they act, right? They don't think before they act. But the wise consider what the Lord wants us to do before we act, and we act upon it. We are to be careful. And then Paul turns the page. He's been talking a lot in generalities, right? He's been talking very generally about wisdom, and, and it's uh, looking for opportunities. He turns the page. He, he goes to something very specific now, and, and he turns to what carries us away and what we might allow to control ourselves. He says in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. The Apostle Paul in, in the New Testament is not a teetotaler. Uh, he is not a teetotaler. But he is consistently, uh, pretty much any time he talks about alcohol, he is opposed to drunkenness. And when we look at it in the context of, of being wise, making the most of every opportunity, and considering considering the way we live, Paul's concern is that we are careful, that we carefully reflect on our lives, that we carefully act. And, and so wine, or alcohol in general, and specifically being drunk, drunkenness, robs us of our ability to be careful and to be reflective. It robs us of that ability. Getting drunk is dumb. Paul would probably say foolish. As, as a church, we, we are committed to providing a safe place for people who struggle with addiction. And so we, we abstain. As a community, we abstain from alcohol. But the issue that Paul is confronting in, in this passage is the folly of allowing our senses and our reason to be controlled by anything outside of, of God. <laughs> and, and he says that it'll ruin your life. And I want to get to Paul's antidote for, for being drunk with wine, but I just... I'm really impressed by the wisdom of Paul in, in saying, getting drunk with wine, it will ruin your life. And, and mostly because it's kind of on my mind this week, the chaplain of the prison in Orofino, he sends his kids to Cornerstone, his son's in, in my daughter's class. And we had a class meeting this week with the parents and we were just talking about life and ministry and, and he, he just happened to mention as I was preparing this sermon and working on uh, through this passage, he just happened to mention, 
yeah, pretty much every man who was incarcerated in Orofino was under the influence of drugs or alcohol when he committed his crime. And, you know, I believe in restoration and in rehabilitation, but I doubt that many of those men would argue that their lives came to ruin because of their choice. Uh, and that's an extreme example, you know, but Paul's wisdom, it holds on a much smaller scale as well. It holds on a much smaller scale because we all, we all know stories of, of decisions that are made or words that are spoken or feelings that were hurt that cause brokenness and ruin in relationships because someone had allowed themselves to no longer be in control but to allow a substance to take control. And, and people like to blame alcohol to make stupid decisions. And, and uh, they, they tell funny stories about how, how that has happened. Uh, Paul, Paul says very lovingly, don't be dumb. Don't be a fool, he says. Don't be foolish. Be, be wise. And so immediately then after that, he says, instead, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the very last half of verse 18, the last phrase of verse 18. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is really, really interesting to me. I'm really, really interested in the way that Paul says, don't let alcohol carry you away. Don't let it carry you away. And he says, he, just don't do that. Don't let it control you. Don't let it, don't let it make you make dumb decisions. Instead, be carried away by the Holy Spirit. Almost as if Paul is encouraging us to be a little out of control because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Right? I'm, I'm not stretching it too much, am I? I'm, I'm not trying, maybe, I'm not trying to stretch it too much. Paul says, if you're going to lose control to something, don't let it be wine. Let it be the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit carry you away. Uh, now, if you've been paying close attention to me for the last six months, this isn't going to come to you as a huge surprise, but I really, really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do things that make us out of control, that take us beyond what we are, are accustomed to. And, you know, historically, if we look at, at our, our sort of branch of the family tree of Christianity, his, like over the last couple hundred years, and, and theologically, historically, the brothers and sisters who are closest to us on the family tree, uh, we have gone one direction or the other with the idea of letting the Holy Spirit control us. And, and our closest relatives on the family tree of Christianity are, are brothers and sisters that we would, we would give the title charismatic to. And, and those brothers and sisters... Uh, you know, like super, super similar theology, super, super similar belief in the power of the Holy Spirit, super similar in so many ways to us. And, and we, we see from our perspective that they, they emphasize the, the movement in power of the Holy Spirit uh, in a different way than we do. And so in their experiences in worship, they'll have, they'll have more, more expressive manifestations of the Holy Spirit, people will prophesy, people will speak in tongues, 
healings are more, more frequent in, in miraculous events, are more frequent in, in their gatherings. The, the experience of, of the Holy Spirit, they might argue that the experience of the Holy Spirit of the church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, remember Pentecost, Acts chapter 2? Let me just remind you of the story. The believers are in the upper room. They're praying. The Holy Spirit descends like fire, right? It descends like fire. All of the brothers and sisters who are in the room jump up, and they start speaking languages that they don't know. They, they start, and they're preaching about Jesus in languages that they don't know. And so what, this, what happens in Jerusalem, it's interesting, what happens in Jerusalem, everybody comes around, they're causing a huge scene. It is, it is chaos. And, and the whole city says, what do they say? They must be drunk. And, and the apostle Peter gets up. He says, folks, it's 10 in the morning. These people are not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to preach one of the most amazing messages uh, about Jesus ever preached, and, and uh, tons of people give their lives to the Lord. Our, our brothers and sisters on the more charismatic wing of the church, they might say that that is, should be the norm, that that should be the, the regular expression of the Holy Spirit in worship among believers, that we would be carried away. And... Uh, and, and so we have, on the, on the opposite side, we've said we, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, but we believe in the cleansing and maturing power of the Holy Spirit, in the transformation of our hearts, and an inner, inner ethical purity that the Holy Spirit brings about. We would, hmm, we would never speak ill of our brothers and sisters. Uh, we, would, we would say that if the more charismatic wing of the church has missed something, it has been in, in not emphasizing enough the purity and, and holiness that we believe the Holy Spirit can bring about. And, and uh, if, they were, if they were speaking of us, and they would never speak ill of us, but if they were speaking of us, they would say, we've missed out on the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit in our midst that, that can happen when we worship the true God. And so, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine instead, because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, I think that You've heard me say it before. I, I think we ought to be open to the expressions of the Holy Spirit that make us uncomfortable. Uh, I'm, I'm Nazarene through and through. We are Nazarene through and through. We're sort of self-selected in the Church of the Nazarene as people who are a little more stoic and, and maybe a little bit less apt to, to let ourselves be carried away by the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't, especially in North America, if you take North American Nazarenes to South American worship services, they get a little uncomfortable because uh, South American Nazarenes are, are less uh, stoic. They'd be really uncomfortable if they ever understood every word that was spoken. Uh, the, but, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a huge interest in, in trying to change who we are. 
We are, we are people who worship the way we worship. We're people who, who are here because we, we like who we are. What I would argue, what I, I would say, what I, the reason I'm kind of stirring the pot here, I'm not a pot stirrer, but I, I don't like, I, I, sometimes I get passionate about something and so I think the pot needs to be stirred. The reason I'm stirring the pot here is because if every time the Holy Spirit speaks, it's in a way that we are comfortable with. If every time that we say, I heard a word from the Lord, it confirms something that we already believed, I think we need to, to check who we are worshiping. We need to allow God's spirit to, to challenge us. I don't think that many of the believers on Pentecost Sunday that were in the upper room were really comfortable going out into the streets and, and preaching. Uh, I, I would guess that the Holy Spirit moved them in a way that was beyond their comfort level. And so if we're going to allow the living God who created heaven and earth to move among us and to speak to us, we should be at least willing to hear his voice when it disagrees with us. We should at least be willing to hear his voice when it pushes us from our comfort zone. I have found that my comfort is very low on God's agenda. <laughs> so Paul says, be careful. Don't be carried away with wine. That'll ruin your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled, Paul says, uh, that filling will mani manifest itself in your life as nothing more than encouraging your brothers and sisters and filling your heart. Uh, read with me in verse 19, Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, that's in the body of believers, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So the outcome of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of being carried away and out of control, it means that we will encourage one another with music and poetry. That's the outcome. That's, that's really what God is, is pushing you to do, to be out of control to encourage one another with music and poetry, to, to be stretched in the way that you praise God in front of one another. Praise God and, and encourage one another with the good things that God is doing. We, and then our hearts will be filled. And, and you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a double-edged sword. We, we press toward it. We ask the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit works. And so, so our hearts are filled whether it's us filling our hearts because we want the, the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts or whether it's the Holy Spirit working in us so our hearts are filled, our hearts will be filled with music, with, with praises to God. And, and I, I just really like that. Music brings joy, right? Music brings happiness. Music brings peace and hope and inspiration. Music, sometimes music is therapeutic, right? When we're upset, Putting on a, a good song can kind of calm us down and, and be therapeutic for us. Paul says, let the Holy Spirit lead you into inspiration. Let the, let the Spirit fill your heart with a melody. Let the Spirit fill your heart with a melody. I know some people don't connect with music the way I do. I love music. 
I wish I was musically talented. I'd just be, I would sing all the time for you. I would make you listen to me if I was any ta had any talent. I, I do play a mean radio, but that's as, as good as I can do. Uh, and so I know that I get inspired by, by great music. Some people are not so inspired. And, and I think Paul's encouragement is, is for us to fill our hearts with praise. Fill our hearts with praise. Let us, let us just be people who are bursting with praise for God. And music to the Lord, it may not have rhythm. It may not have notes. It may not have a melody. But music to the Lord, it, it may just be the music that comes out of your heart may be the way that you love your neighbor. <laughs> and that may be praise and music to God's ears, the way that you, you are careful around your neighbor and care for your neighbor and, and love your neighbor. It may be the way that you, you care for your family, the way that you love your kids or your parents or, or your, your spouse. The music that comes from some people's hearts comes in generosity. They love to give gifts. They love to give financially. They love to give their time. And it, and it is music to the Lord. And it pours out of their hearts because it's just, it's what the Holy Spirit does to them. It makes them generous. And Paul Paul's, uh, tells us to, uh, to let our hearts be filled. And in, in his final words of instruction in this paragraph, he kind of gives us an indication of the type of music that it will be. It will be songs of thanksgiving, he says. In, in verse 20, he says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks for everything. <laughs> so, Paul, Paul tells us uh, to be careful. He tells us to be wise tells us to, uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to give thanks, and, and to encourage one another, right? And, and to give thanks. And so, uh, I, as I thought about how to, how to end our time together today, I left myself some time. I left some time. I, it's not noon quite yet. And I left myself some time so that maybe we could just practice I thought maybe we would just practice. Would it be okay to practice together this morning? And, and I'm just going to give opportunity for people to say what you were thankful for. It doesn't need to be your life testimony. It could just be one or two words of what you were thankful for. You don't need to stand up. Uh, you don't, I'm not going to pass a microphone. I'm just going to ask people to share one or two words. You can, you can say a full sentence. If you, if you want to, if it takes a whole paragraph, fine. Beyond about a paragraph, Troy. Uh, the, the, uh, just tell us what you're thankful for. If you're on Facebook, you can comment. Are we live? If you're on Facebook, you can comment, and Andy is going to read out your, your comment for the rest of us to be encouraged by your words. I'm just going to, to invite anybody who would like to, to, to practice, to practice wisdom. This is, this is being careful. It is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not letting anything else carry you away. It's, it's carefully obeying the Lord and allowing the, the song of thanksgiving that is in your heart to be expressed to, to others. It's obeying, it's obeying the command. 
Amen. Thank you, Dave. He is thankful for his family and for the family of believers. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Troy. Pastor Paul, I got two online. Christine King says, thankful for a God who actively answers my prayer. And Amen. Mindy Paul says, grateful for his presence in my life. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. Amen. Amen. We are thankful for the work of Jesus in our lives. Amen. I'm thankful for the crew that was working on Friday at our food bank and the huge response that, that you had. And thankful for your ministry. Mm -hmm. God's enduring mercy. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Keisha. Here's one, uh, Doug Lane, fellow Nazarene from Kansas, watching online. Thankful for being part of a global missional church and for the freedom to worship. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There's two more online. Sarah Rose says, thankful for God's daily blessings and his powerful presence in my life. And Tina Benjamin, thankful for God's promises. Amen. Let me tell you a couple, well, one thing that I'm grateful for. I... I had to send you an email this week saying we were going backward with COVID restrictions. And I'm thankful for a mature and kind congregation that responded so, so kindly and, and so carefully and so wisely. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity to be your pastor. It's, it is such a blessing to me. Thank you. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to practice one more way. <clears throat> as, as we dismiss, there, there is an ancient, ancient, ancient song that the church has sung for, for hundreds of years uh, that is, it's called the doxology. And uh, we don't sing it a lot, but Tobin knows the doxology, so he'll sing out. <laughs> we'll... Uh, We'll sing the doxology together, and uh, those who don't know can, can make joyful music in your heart. And uh, will you join me in singing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God for the opportunity we have to be here together, to encourage one another, to practice your word, to not just be hearers, but to be doers, God. And so we pray as we go from this place that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be attentive, that we would make the most of every opportunity, that we would not be lazy, that we would not be foolish, but we would be wise, making the most of every opportunity that you give us. Help us to see where you're working and to work alongside you. 
Help us, Lord, to respond in kindness and love whenever we're provoked. Help us, Lord, to just be your hands and feet as we go and praise you. Praise you and praise you and praise you over again, Lord. We love you. You are a worthy God. You are a great God. You created us and all that is, and we praise you. Receive our praises, Lord. Go with us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.